one chapter four of men women and guns this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by denise nordell men women and guns by h c sapper mcneil chapter four the fatal second it was in july of nineteen fourteen on the saturday of henley week people who were there may remember that for once in a way our fickle climate was pleased to smile upon us underneath the wall of phyllis court a punt was tied up the prizes had been given away and the tightly packed boats surged slowly up and down the river freed at last from the extreme boredom of watching crews they did not know falling exhausted out of their boats in the punt of which i speak were three men and a girl one of the men was myself who have no part in this episode save the humble one of narrator the other three were the principals i would have you make their acquaintance i would hurriedly say that it is not the old old story of a woman and two men for one of the men was her brother to begin with the girl pat delawney she was always called pat as she didn't look like a patricia was her name and she was well here i give in i don't know the color of her eyes nor can i say with any certainty the color of her hair all i know is that she looked as if the sun had come from heaven and kissed her and had then gone back again satisfied with his work she was a girl whom to know was to love the dearest most understanding soul in god's whole earth i'd loved her myself since i was out of petticoats then there was jack delawney her brother two years younger he was and between the two of them there was an affection and love which is frequently conspicuous by its absence between brother and sister he was a cheery youngster a good-looking boy and fellows in the regiment liked him he rode straight and he had the money to keep good cattle in addition the men loved him and that means a lot when you size up an officer and then there was the other older by ten years than the boy the same age as myself jerry dixon was my greatest friend we had fought together at school played the ass together at sandhurst and entered the regiment on the same day he had a company and i had c and the boy was one of his subalterns perhaps i am biased but to me jerry dixon had one of the finest characters i have ever seen in any man he was no galahad no prig he was just a man a white man he had that cheerily ugly face which is one of the greatest gifts a man can have and he also had pat as his fiancee which was another my name is immaterial but everyone calls me winkle owing to well some day i may tell you the regiment our regiment was the let us call it the downshires we had come over from aldershot and were weekending at the delawnys place they always took one on the river for henley at the moment jerry was holding forth quite unmoved by exhortations to get out and get under bawled in his ears by blackened gentlemen of doubtful voice and undoubted inebriation as i write the peculiar the almost sinister nature of his conversation in the light of future events seems nothing short of diabolical and yet at the time we were just three white flannelled men and a girl with a great floppy hat lazing over tea in a punt how the gods must have laughed my dear old winkle he was lighting a cigarette as he spoke you don't realize the deeper side of soldiering at all the subtle nuances french pat in case my accent is faulty are completely lost upon you i remember smiling to myself as i heard jerry getting warmed up to his subject and then my attention wandered and i dozed off i had heard it all before so often from the dear old boy we always used to chafe him about it in the mess i can see him now after dinner standing with his back to the anteroom fire a whiskey and soda in his hand and a dirty old pipe between his teeth 
"'It's all very well for you fellows to laugh,' he would say, "'but I'm right for all that. "'It is absolutely essential to think out beforehand "'what one would do in certain exceptional eventualities, "'so that when the eventuality does arise "'you won't waste any time, "'but will automatically do the right thing.' "'And then the adjutant recalled in a still, small voice "'how he first realized the orderly room sergeant's baby "'was going to be sick in his arms "'at the regiment's Christmas tree festivities, "'and, instead of throwing it on the floor, "'he had clung to it for that fatal second of indecision. "'As he stated, it was certainly not one of the things "'he had thought out beforehand. "'He's gone, too, has old Belairs the adjutant. "'I wonder how many fellows I'll know "'when I get back to them next week. "'But I'm wandering. "'Winkle, wake up!' "'It was Pat speaking.' "'Jerry is being horribly serious, and I'm not all certain it would be safe to marry him. "'He'll be experimenting on me.' "'What's he been saying?' I murmured sleepily. "'He's been thinking what he'd do,' laughed Jack, "'if the stout female personage in yonder small canoe overbalanced and fell in. "'There'll be no fatal second then, Jerry, my boy. "'It'll be a minute even if I have to hold you. "'You'd never be able to look your friends in the face again if you didn't let her drown.' ass grunted jerry no winkle i was just thinking amongst other things of what might very easily happen to any of us three here and what did happen to old grantley in south africa grantley was one of our majors he told me all about it one day in one of his expansive moods it was during a bit of a scrap just before pardenburg and he had some crowd of irregular johnnies he was told off to take a position and apparently it was a fairly warm proposition however it was perfectly feasible if only the men stuck it well they didn't but they would have except for his momentary indecision he told me that there came a moment in the advance when one man wavered he knew it and felt it all through him he saw the man he almost saw the deadly contagion spreading from that one man to the others and he hesitated and was lost when he sprang forward and tried to hold him he failed the fear was on them and they broke he told me he regarded himself as every bit as much to blame as the man who first gave out. "'But what could he have done, Jerry?' asked Pat. "'Shot him, dear, shot him on the spot without a second's thought. Killed the origin of the fear before it had time to spread. I venture to say that there are not many fellows in the service who would do it. Without thinking, and you can't think, you dare not, even if there was time. It goes against the grain, especially if you know the man well, and it's only by continually rehearsing the scene in your mind that you'd be able to do it.' We were all listening to him now, for this was a new development I'd never heard before. Just imagine the far-reaching results one coward—no, not coward, possibly, but one man who has reached the breaking point—may have. Think of it, Winkle. A long line stretched out, attacking. One man in the center wavers, stops. Spreading outward, the thing rushes like lightning, because, after all, fear is only an emotion, like joy and sorrow, and one knows how quickly they will communicate themselves to other people. Also, in such a moment as an attack, men are particularly susceptible to emotions. All that is primitive is uppermost, and their reasoning powers are more or less in abeyance. "'But the awful thing, Jerry,' said Pat quietly, "'is that you would never know whether it had been necessary or not. It might not have spread. He might have answered to your voice. Oh, a thousand things might have happened.' "'It is not worth the risk, dear. One man's life is not worth the risk. It's a risk you just dare not take.' It may mean everything. It may mean failure. It may mean disgrace. He paused and looked steadily across the shifting scene of gaiety and color, while a long bamboo pole with a little bag on the end, wielded by some passing vocalist, was thrust towards him, unheeded. Then, with a short laugh, he pulled himself together and lit a cigarette. But enough of dull care. Let us away and gaze upon beautiful women and brave men. What's that little tune they're playing? 
that's that waltz what the deuce is the name pat asked jack untying the punt destiny answered pat briefly and we passed out into the stream a month afterwards we three were again at henley not in flannels in a punt on the river but in khaki with a motor waiting at the door of the delawnys house to take us back to aldershot i do not propose to dwell over the scene but in the setting down of the story it cannot be left out europe was at war the long expected by those scoffed at alarmists had actually come england and germany were at each other's throats inside the house jack was with his mother personally i was standing in the garden with the gray-haired father and jerry was well where else could he have been as is the way with men we discussed the roses and the rascality of the germans and everything except what was in our hearts and in one of the pauses in our spasmodic conversation we heard her voice just over the hedge god guard and keep you my man and bring you back to me safe and the voice was steady though one could feel those dear eyes dim with tears and then jerry's dear old jerry's voice a little bit gruff it was and a little bit shaky my love my darling but the old man was going towards the house blowing his nose and i don't hold with love and that sort of thing at all truly i blundered into a flower-bed which i didn't see clearly as i went towards the car for there are things which one may not hear and remain unmoved perhaps if things had been different and jerry dear old jerry hadn't but there i'm wandering again at last we were in the car and ready to start take care of him jerry he and pat are all we've got it was mrs delawnay speaking standing there with the setting sun on her sweet face and her husband's arm about her i'll be all right mater answered jack gruffly buck up back for christmas i'll look after him mrs delawnay answered jerry but his eyes were fixed on pat and for him the world held only her as the car swung out of the gate we looked back the last time and saluted and it was only i who saw through a break in the hedge two women locked in each other's arms while a gray-haired gentleman sat very still on a garden seat with his eyes fixed on the river rolling smoothly by it was on the ain i took it through that ghastly fourteen days we had slogged dully south away from mons ever getting nearer paris through the choking dust with the men staggering as they walked some asleep some babbling some cursing but always marching 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 digging at night only to leave the trenches in two hours and march on again and ever and anon a battery of horse tearing past at a gallop with the drivers lolling drunkenly in their saddles and the guns jolting and swaying behind the straining sweating horses to come into action on some ridge still further south and try to check von kluck's hordes if only for a little space every bridge in the hands of anxious-faced sapper officers prepared for demolition one and all but not to be blown up till all our troops were across ticklish work for should there be a fault there is not much time to repair it but at last it was over and we turned north a few days later in the afternoon my company crossed a pontoon bridge on the ain and two hours afterwards we dug ourselves in a mile and a half beyond it the next morning as i was sitting in one of the trenches there was a sudden blinding roar and oblivion i will pass rapidly over the next six weeks over my journey from the clearing hospital to the base at havre to my voyage back to england in a hospital ship and my ultimate arrival at drayton hall the delawnys place in somerset where i had gone to convalesce during the time various fragments of iron were being picked from me and the first shock of the concussion was wearing off we handed over our trenches on the aim to the french and moved north to flanders occasional scrawls came through from jack and jerry but the people in england who had any knowledge at all of the fighting and of what was going on grew to dread with an awful dread the sight of the telegraph boy and it required an effort of will to look at those prosaic casualty lists in the morning papers 
then suddenly without warning as such news always does it came the war office in the shape of a whistling telegraph boy regretted to inform mr delawnay that his son lieutenant jack delawnay of the royal downshire regiment had been killed in action had it been possible during the terrible days after the news came i would have gone away but i was still too weak to move and i like to think that perhaps my presence there was some comfort to them as a sort of connection through the regiment with their dead boy after the first numbing shock the old man bore it grandly he was all i had he said to me one day as i lay in bed but i give him gladly for his country's sake he stood looking at the broad fields all his he muttered all would have been the dear lads and now six inches of soil and a wooden cross perhaps not that and poor poor little pat used to come up every day and sit with me sometimes in silence with her great eyes fixed on the fire sometimes reading the paper because my eyes weren't quite right yet for about a fortnight after the news we did not think it strange but then as day by day went by the same fear formulated in both our minds i would have died sooner than whisper it but one afternoon i found her eyes fixed on mine we had been silent for some time and suddenly in the firelight i saw the awful fear in her mind as clearly as if she had spoken it you're thinking it too winkled she whispered leaning forward why hasn't he written why hasn't jerry written one line oh my god don't say that he has been hush dear i said quietly his people would have let you know if they had had a wire but winkle the colonel has written that jack died while gallantly leading a counter-attack to recover lost trenches surely jerry would have found time for a line unless something had happened to him jack was actually in his company all of which i knew but could not answer besides she went on after a moment you know how dad is longing for details he wants to know everything about jack and so do we all but oh winkle i want to know if my man is all right brother and lover not both oh god not both the choking little sobs wrung my heart the next day we got a wire from him he was wounded slightly in the arm and was at home he was coming to us just that no more but oh the difference to the girl everything explained everything clear and the next day jerry would be with her only as i lay awake that night thinking and the events of the last three days passed through my mind the same thought returned with maddening persistency slightly wounded in the arm evidently recently as there was no mention in the casualty list and for three weeks no line no word and then i cursed myself as an ass and a querulous invalid at three o'clock he arrived and they all came up to my room the first thing that struck me like a blow was that it was his left arm which was hit and the next was his face whether pat had noticed that his writing arm was unhurt i know not but she had seen the look in his eyes and was afraid then he told the story and his voice was as the voice of the dead told the anxious eager father and mother the story of their boy's heroism how having lost some trenches the regiment made a counter-attack to regain them how first of them all was jack the men following him as they always did until a shot took him clean through the heart and he dropped leaving the regiment to surge over him for the last forty yards and carry out gloriously what they had been going to do and then the old man pulling out the letter from the colonel and trying to read it through his blinding tears he did well my boy he whispered he did well and died well but jerry the colonel says in his letter and he wiped his eyes and tried to read he says in his letter that jack must have been right into their trenches almost as he was killed at point-blank range with a revolver one of those swine of german officers see he shook his fist in the air still he was but doing his duty i must not complain but you say he was forty yards away 
it's difficult to say sir in the dark answered jerry still in the voice of an automatic machine it may have been less than forty and then he told them all over again and while they the two old dears whispered and cried together never noticing anything amiss being only concerned with the telling and caring no whit for the method thereof pat sat silently in the window gazing at him with tearless eyes and the wonder and amazement of her soul writ dear on her face for all to see and i i lay motionless in bed and there was something i could not understand for he would not look at me nor yet at her but kept his eyes fixed on the fire while he talked like a child repeating a lesson at last it was over their last questions were asked and slowly arm in arm they left the room to dwell alone upon the story of their idolized boy and in the room the silence was only broken by the crackling of the logs how long we sat there i know not with the firelight flickering on the stern set face of the man in the chair he seemed unconscious of our existence and we too dared not speak to him we who loved him best for there was something we could not understand suddenly he got up and held out his arms to pat and when she crept into them he kissed her straining her close as if he could never stop then without a word he led her to the door and putting her gently through shut it behind her still without a word he came back to the chair and turned it so that the firelight no longer played on his face and then he spoke i have a story to tell you winkle which i venture to think will entertain you for a time his voice was the most terrible thing i have ever listened to nearly four weeks ago the battalion was in the trenches a bit south of ypres it was bad in the retreat you know it was bad on the aisne but they were neither of them in the same county as the doing we had up north one night they'd shelled us off and on for three days and three nights we were driven out of our trenches the regiment on our right gave as we had to go too the next morning we were ordered to counter-attack and get back the ground we had lost it was the attack in which we lost so heavily he stopped speaking for a while and i did not interrupt when i got that order overnight jack was with me in a hut that passed as a dugout at the moment everything was quiet the germans were patching up their new position only a maxim sputtered away a bit to one flank to add to the general desolation a steady downpour of rain drenched us into which without cessation the german flares went shooting up i think they were expecting a counter-attack at once again he paused and i waited you know the condition one gets into sometimes when one is heavy for sleep we had it during the retreat if you remember a sort of coma the outcome of utter bodily exhaustion one used to go on walking and all the while one was asleep or practically so sounds came to us dimly as from a great distance they made no impression on us they were just a jumbled phantasmagoria of outside matters which failed to reach one's brain except as a dim dream i was in that condition on the night i am speaking of i was utterly cooked beat to the world i was finished for the time i've told you this because i want you to understand the physical condition i was in he leaned forward and stared at the fire resting his head on his hands how long i dozed heavily in that wet sodden hole i don't know but after a while above the crackle of the maxim separate and distinct from the soft splash of the rain and the hiss of the flares and the hundred and one other noises that came dimly to me out of the night i heard jack's voice at least i think it was jack's voice of a sudden he sat up in the chair and rising quickly he came and leant over the foot of the bed devil take it he cried bitterly i know it was jack's voice now i knew it the next day when it was too late what he said exactly i shall never know at the time it made no impression on me but at this moment almost like a spirit voice in my brain i can hear him i can hear him asking me to watch him i can hear him pleading i can hear his dreadful fear of being found afraid 
as a whisper from a great distance i can hear one short sentence jerry my god jerry i'm frightened winkle he turned on me in his weakness that boy who had never failed before that boy who had reached the breaking point and i heeded him not i was too dead beat my brain couldn't grasp it but jerry i cried it turned out all right the next day he the words died away on my lips as i met the look in his eyes you'd better let me finish he interrupted wearily let me get the whole hideous tragedy off my mind for the first and the last time early next morning we attacked in the dim dirty light of dawn i saw the boy's face as he moved off to his platoon and even then i didn't remember those halting sentences that had come to me out of the night so instead of ordering him to the rear on some pretext or other as i should have done i let him go to his platoon as we went across the ground that morning through a fire like nothing i have ever imagined a man wavered in front of me i felt it clean through me i knew fear had come i shouted and cheered but the wavering was spreading i knew that too so i shot him through the heart from behind at point-blank range as i had trained myself to do in that eternity ago before the war the counter-attack was successful great heavens jerry i muttered who did you shoot though i knew the answer already the man i shot was jack delawney whether at the time i was actively conscious of it i cannot say certainly my training enabled me to act before any glimmering of the aftermath came into my mind this is the aftermath i shuddered at the utter hopelessness of his tone though the full result of his action had not dawned on me yet my mind was dazed but surely jack was no coward i said at length he was not but on that particular morning he gave out he had reached the limit of his endurance the colonel's letter i reminded him it praised the lad lies he answered wearily all lies engineered by me not because i am ashamed of what i did but for the lad's sake and hers and the old people i loved the boy as you know but he failed and there was no other way and where the fiend himself is gloating over it is that he knows it was the only time jack did fail if only i hadn't been so beat the night before if only his words had reached my brain before it was too late if only i think he added after a pause i think i shall go mad sometimes i wish i could and what of pat i asked at length breaking the silence the hands grasping the bed tightened and grew white i said good-bye to her before your eyes ten minutes ago i shall never see her again but great heavens jerry i cried you can't give her up like that she idolizes the ground you walk on she worships you and she need never know you were only doing your duty after all stop he cried and his voice was a command as you love me old friend don't tempt me for three weeks those arguments have been flooding everything else from my mind do you think at henley when she said he might have answered to your voice winkle it's true jack might have and i killed him just think if i married her and she did find out her brother's murderer in her eyes the man who has wrecked her home and broken her father and mother it's inconceivable it's hideous ah don't you see how utterly final it all is she may have been right and if she was then i who loved her better than the world have murdered her brother and broken the old people's hearts for the sake of a theory the fact that my theory has been put into practice at the expense of everything i have to live for is full of humor isn't it and his laugh was wild steady jerry i said sternly what do you mean to do you'll see old man in time he answered first and foremost get back to the regiment arm or no arm i would not have come home but i had to see her once more you talk as if it was the end i looked at him squarely it is he answered it's easy out there your mind is made up absolutely he gave a short laugh good-bye old friend 
ease it to her as well as you can say i'm unstrung by the trenches anything you like but don't let her guess the truth for a long minute he held my hand then he turned away he walked to the mantelpiece and there was a photograph of her there for a long time he looked at it and it seemed to me he whispered something a sudden dimness blinded my eyes and when i looked again he had gone through the window into the night i did not see pat until i left drayton hall after that ghastly night save only once or twice with her mother in the room but an hour before i left she came to me and her face was that of a woman who has passed through the fires tell me winkle shall i ever see him again you know what i mean you will never see him again pat and the look in her eyes made me choke will you tell me what it was he told you before he went through the window you see i was in the hall waiting for him and she smiled wearily i can't pat dear i promised him i muttered but it was nothing disgraceful disgraceful she cried proudly jerry and anything disgraceful oh my god winkle dear and she broke down utterly do you remember the waltz they were playing that day destiny and then i went whether that wonderful woman's intuition had told her something of what happened i know not but yesterday morning i got a letter from the colonel saying that jerry had chucked his life away saving a wounded man and this morning she will have seen it in the papers god help you pat my dear end of section four recording by denise nordell modesto california